Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Doug, thank you so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today. Thanks, Kate. Happy to be here. Now, you run quite an interesting company and listeners might not be aware about it because it's a little bit different to what we normally talk about. So I was wondering if you could introduce ShareSite and maybe a little bit of the background there. Sure. So ShareSite is a software company. And what we do is we help investors track their portfolios. So we focus on performance and tax reporting. And so we help investors bring everything into one place, be it from one or more brokers And we help you look at analytics, we help you benchmark, and we basically just help you understand how you're going as an investor, which is kind of something that oddly escapes us as investors. It's not always easy to kind of get a holistic, simple view of how you're actually tracking. So we were actually started by a father and son about 10 years ago in New Zealand. And those guys kind of worked away for a while over there. They eventually expanded to Australia, where we sort of raised some capital. I got involved with the company, and now we've grown to a team size of about 50 And we serve investors in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, Canada, and various other countries sort of around the world. And it's a fairly unique model in what it does. I mean, I haven't seen too many good competitors for it because, I mean, I've personally used ShareSite for a few years to manage my own portfolios just because I can see everything in one spot. I mean, this isn't a sponsored episode at all, but I I have personally really found it helpful, especially for tax time, because I think listeners will know I always put off doing my taxes and I really don't enjoy it. So it has been quite uh, helpful software. Yeah, like it is. I mean, we kind of, we, we, we sort of stick to our knitting and stay in our lane. I think, you know, a lot of people in our industry expect a piece of software like ShareSite to be a transactional platform where you can trade, or they expect it to give you recommendations or models or something like that. And we, we don't do any kind of the execution or advice. We're simply focused on kind of the boring bits, really, which is the tracking and the reporting, but it's necessary for everyone if you're going to become a successful investor is to understand how you're going. So yeah, our model is such that um, it's a freemium model. So we sort of borrowed from, you know, freemium uh, retail business models online. And, you know, you can try a free version for as long as you want. And based on your needs, you can then upgrade to one of our, our premium tiers. Absolutely. And as you said, sometimes those boring bits are just as important. And that's what I really wanted to talk about in today's episode, all of that portfolio admin that uh, we all put off. We don't often, we want to put our head in the sand about because making sure your share registry details, which will explain what share registries are, are up to date and doing your taxes isn't the fun part of investing. It's, it's the bit that you don't really want to do, but having tools and resources does make that process a lot easier. And Doug, what do new investors really need to know about when it comes to the less fun, the portfolio admin side of things after they buy their very first share or ETF? Yeah. So so I suppose it, it, aside from the obvious, which is you know understand why you're investing and what your goals are and what you're investing in, which is all fun stuff to talk about. There's all the kind of boring, as you say, yeah. admin that's, that sits underneath this. And as exciting and as sexy as a lot of the new brokers have become, um, and I'm, look, I'm a fan of a lot of them, um, it doesn't really change the fact that behind the scenes, the plumbing behind all this stuff is really old and it can be really confusing. And a lot of it's honestly paper-based. Um, so I guess 
What I would tell investors is, is new ones especially, is just understand who the different sort of players are in the game and kind of what the touchstones are, are for you as an investor and sort of what, what you're sort of getting yourself into when you become an investor and buy even just, uh, just uh, your first ETF or your first share in a company. And also importantly, understand kind of who's getting paid and by whom. And I can kind of come back to that. But, but basically, when you become an investor in Australia, you'll need to you know, open a, a brokerage account and, and you know, 99% of, of, of your audience, myself included, would, uh, would be using an online broker. So there's you know, a whole process that goes into that. Can be, if it's linked to your bank, it should be pretty easy. But if not, you'll have to go through the, the kind of compliance hoops, which is the anti-money laundering and know your client stuff that the broker will ask you to do and to verify yourself. And then you'll need to fund your account with, with cash. And that's kind of where the broker's responsibility to you as an investor ends. They're basically just a transactional platform or a marketplace that matches buyers and sellers. Some brokers focus on you know, international markets. So some will be really competitive in terms of pricing for U.S. shares. Some will kind of be more full service um, and they'll offer things like research and news and recommendations and, and stock market alerts and things like that. And then others, again, might focus on more exotic derivative investments like CFDs or futures or options. So it's kind of a, a broker for everybody, I suppose. But at the end of the day, they kind of all perform the same function, which is allowing you to buy and sell um, shares. And we're talking about you know vanilla equities, which are just company shares or, or ETFs. They're all pretty much the same apart from the fees. And that's kind of one thing to, to watch out for, which is understanding how the broker gets paid. So it's worth understanding there's a lot of different models out there in terms of, of brokers and, and, and how they, they generate fees. Um, some are just a flat fee in terms of dollars per trade. So you might pay you know nine or ten bucks per trade or twenty bucks per trade in some cases. Others will charge you a percentage of the trade size, which if you're going to be placing a larger trade is something definitely to, to look out for. Others offer subscription-based pricing, so a lot like ShareSite or Netflix or Spotify, where you kind of sign up for a monthly amount and you can trade up to a limit. And then others, again, will, will purport that they're free, but often there's fees kind of baked in in the, in the free quote-unquote trading that they offer. The most common way they do that is if, if they offer, say, free trading in the U.S., they'll take a, a percentage of the foreign exchange transfer between the Aussie dollar and the U.S. dollar when, when the shares are actually bought. So that's kind of a quick rundown on kind of brokers and kind of how they, how they make their money. And then I suppose, aside from that, the other somewhat painful reality that you're opening yourself up to as a, as a retail investor is, is the share registry side of things. And that's where basically every company that's listed also contains a relationship with a share registry. And you may uh, recognize the names of ComputerShare or Link. Those are kind of the two biggest ones in Australia. Actually, ComputerShare is one of the biggest in the world uh, from an Australian company founded way back in the 70s or 80s, I think, actually. One of the kind of the, the oldest school fintechs, actually, that I've found. <laughs> and their job is basically to keep a track record of who owns what share. So somewhere in their in their database, they've got Kate Campbell owns, you know, 100 shares of Telstra or Kate Campbell owns 100 shares of BHP or whatever it may be. They're the actual registrar of the shares. And so when you purchase uh, shares in a company or shares in an ETF, you'll then be given an account and you'll get a whole lot of literature in, in the post, unfortunately, from the registry. Uh, and the other function the registry uh, performs is they are the ones who pay out the dividends in most cases for companies as well. And so basically uh, a company who pays a, a large dividend, again, like Telstra, they will basically take a huge chunk of cash uh, at their dividend date. They'll then send it on to the, to the registry, who then divvies it up and parcels it out 
to you, the investor, as well. And so there's kind of that that bank connection then between you know your 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 registry account and then uh, where the money goes into your bank account as well. So those are kind of the two major touchstones that you kind of can't get away from, I suppose, as a retail investor, unless you're doing something like buying shares directly in a share offering, which is a bit more rare and tends to be kind of more a sort of like state companies, like a medical insurance company or a railroad or something like that who do direct share offerings, which is probably not relevant for, <laughs> for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess before we get into share registries, um, there are occasions when people need us deal with share registries and occasions when they don't. And that really depends if the broker is a, a custodial or a non-custodial model, which can be really confusing those words and holder identification numbers. Are you able to explain a little bit the difference between a custodial and non-custodial broker and then what holder identification numbers are? Sure. Yeah. So so the, I'll take the, the second one first, that the, the holder identification number or the, the, the HIN as it's known or the um, shareholder registration number, or the SRN, as it's known, kind of perform the same thing. So, so basically, the Australian market is actually quite robust in terms of the way it, it protects the retail investor. And so if you're going to use kind of a mainstream Australian broker, like a Comsec or you know, one of the, the established sort of independent Aussie online brokers, you'll be given what's called a HIN. And what's nice about the HIN is it's basically a, a number, or think of it as, as an account or kind of a container, that you are given, it's only yours, and you hold those shares in your name. So it's almost like you're like a little company operating uh, sort of by and for yourself, and you own those shares and kind of no one can take them from you. And the cool thing about the HIN is you can actually take it from broker to broker. And so if you you know started trading, say, with Comsec, again, I use them because they're, they're the biggest, and you know years ago, and you think, oh, you know what, I'm going to go try out this new broker. Comsec maybe is, is not for me. Maybe it's a bit expensive. You can take your hint with you from kind of broker A to broker B, and that'll follow you around for your investing life. So it's a really useful thing in that it's sort of this this protective vessel that you have to kind of hold your shares in. And it's one number and you can use it and you kind of plug and play from one broker to another. That can get a bit messy, though, just because when you do transfer from one broker to another, your trading history will often be lost in the process. And so your hint is basically just the balance that says, okay, Ms. Campbell, you own these shares, it's worth this much money, go from A to B. It has no portfolio track record, which is actually a big part of where ShareSite comes in because we maintain that history regardless of, of what broker, or how many brokers uh, that you're using. And that kind of leads into the custodial, non-custodial model. So the, the custody model is where a financial institution will hold your assets in custody. And if that sounds like a boring statement, it, it is. Um, but it's important because... Oftentimes, when you're trading U.S. shares, especially through one of the newer brokers that offer access to the U.S. markets, the institution will hold those assets in custody for you. So you don't actually own those shares. It's not a big deal. It doesn't really matter. But where it can get a bit hairy is if there's an issue with that financial institution or it comes to sort of pricing or liquidity problems, you know, you typically want to, if you have the option to own the shares outright in your own name, you don't want a financial institution owning them on your behalf, even though it may be something as vanilla as share, you know, shares in Google or Apple or something like that. It, it typically doesn't matter. But I give you a story. I, I, um, I had moved to Australia in 2007 and then the GFC hit, of course. And as an American, as I'm sure you can hear in my accent, um, I had an account with uh, an online broker there that faced some real financial pressure 
because of their lending division. And there was all kinds of questions as to whether or not this broker, this bank would survive. And so basically I called them up day after day and was like, hey, can I get my money out? And they were like, we'll let you know. And the reason I couldn't just draw my funds out is because they held those assets in custody. Now, this was just a small share portfolio of some totally vanilla blue chip you know, US names like Microsoft and, and uh, Disney and things like that. But again, those, that's not my money. They, they held that in custody. And I, I, I was sort of the low man in the totem pole. And I eventually did get my, get my funds out. But that's kind of the, the danger of having assets um, held in custody. That's an extreme example. But that is a difference between, say, the custody model and the non-custody model or, or holding your, your shares uh, in a hint. And so, again, it's, it's better to hold them, in my opinion, um, outright in a hint. Uh, but if you're going to be trading in overseas markets, it's not always possible to do so. And, and it's, it's not that big of a risk, but that, that is just an important difference to highlight. Yeah. And so you'll know if they tell you they're going to issue you a hint that you, you know it's a non-custodial model and everything's right. in your own name. And it makes it really easy if you want to change from ComSec to stake or whatever you want to do down the track. That's right. That's right. And that also means that you'll have the ATO will have line of sight into what you're doing. And I don't mean that from like a big brother standpoint. I just mean that from a you're totally on the up and up, like what you do in terms of if you file your own tax and use pre-fill and things like that, it, it ought to be easier because the ATO is getting better and better at understanding what investors are doing through brokers and HINs and just to make mm-hmm. the filing process a bit uh, more streamlined. Yeah. And I know people can get a bit confused with all these numbers when they start because they're getting issued maybe an account number for their brokerage platform. Then they're getting issued a holder identification number. And then they're also being asked to provide their tax file number. So it can get a bit confusing, like keeping track of all these numbers at the start. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> there's no there's no real good way to do it. And unfortunately, a lot of the systems don't talk to one another. So, I mean, if, if you're like me, I've got mine sort of listed in a Google spreadsheet somewhere, basically. <laughs> but um, it does get confusing. And I suppose don't be overwhelmed if you're just getting into investing. You're going to get a lot of stuff in the post and you're going to get a lot of numbers and you really won't need to worry about that stuff much except come tax time. And that's where it is very important. I mean, assuming you're going to be logging into your broker on a regular basis to kind of you know make trades or read news or things like that, that should be the access there is sort of you set it up one time and that's it. But it is important to kind of set up those registry logins and to maintain those because their websites are not the most user friendly and they kind of have a, um, I don't know, if you're like me, like I often go to a website and I know that it's like, you know, okay, it's Qantas. I can always reset my password. I'm back in, you know, get a text and I'm, I'm back in straight away. It's not that easy on the, on the registry's websites. And so I would, I would encourage you to maintain a, a login there and sort of keep it up, I suppose, is, the, is my yeah. message. Because you do need to reference the registries when it comes to confirming the actual number of units you hold in companies and those dividend payments amounts for, for your tax filing. So it is very important. Yeah, I was looking into one of my registry accounts the other day and you have to answer three different security questions about yourself. And every time I'm like, what are the answers? Luckily, I've written them down somewhere, but I I always like I cannot even remember my own security questions. So it does make life harder. It's hard. I know. And, and the other thing, too, with all this stuff is that so if you have let's say you have a brokerage account from, you know, you started trading you know a couple of years ago. Let's say you've opened a new one. Right. So a common example there would be well, think about me. I, I've got a ComSec account. I've got a NAB trade account. I've got a stake account. I've got a seams. Anyway, I'm a bit of a different beast because <laughs> I, I the do. Money. But like you do, you do build these accounts up over time yeah. because they are easier and easier to open, especially you know on the mobile, right? Like you can mm. just you can go through this stuff pretty easily now. 
So the more brokerage accounts you have, the more account numbers you have, and the more bank accounts you'll have attached to each broker, because you need a bank account in a broker because that's where the trades settle and the dividends often get paid. So that kind of is one sort of buildup of admin, administrative reality or kind of life admin, right? And the other thing is, is that there are three or four mainstream share registries in Australia. So if you own a company on each share registry, it's up to the company to pick which registry they use. You're then going to have four accounts with the registries and, and four, you know, mail centers sending you stuff in the post. And so you kind of have this matrix effect where you have like brokers and registries and it, it gets, it can get kind of overwhelming from a, from an admin standpoint. Again, I don't want to dissuade anyone from investing, but um, <laughs> that is where ShareSite does help because we can bring all the brokerage information. So all of your trading history in to give you a portfolio look that's current and your history is all in there. And then we'll show you how you're actually tracking. And then also, whilst we don't have a connection into the registries directly, we know your unit balances from the connections we have with brokers, and we know the dividends paid by the companies. And so we kind of combine the registry and the broker information together, your trading history and kind of your admin history, and we put it in one place. Um, so we, we did try to kind of bring down the, the pain when it comes to the admin threshold of, of investing. But uh, it's, it, it, is, it is still kind of old school when you think about how we operate as investors as, as opposed to other things, be it booking travel or whatever it may be, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you have just bought your first share or ETF, how do you even find out which of the registries you need to create your account with? You will be told basically, I'm trying to think if if it's, it's it may be listed in the broker itself, but but chances are you'll just get something in the post, say a week or two later, that'll say, Hey, congratulations! You know you're you you need to set up a, an account with ComputerShare because we're the um, the registry for say the the VAS ETF Vanguard Aussie Shares or something like that. So you'll kind of be fed the information that's required. So just look out for that letter in the post. And then I would say, if at all possible, go to Digital Communications because they send they tend to send a lot of a lot of uh, information in the mail. Yeah, you definitely don't want to re- be receiving the company's annual report in the post. That's, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Proxy voting statements and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I guess the other important thing is updating your tax file number in the share registry because it's not always automatically sent across. And then if you have a dividend or a, your ETF makes a distribution, sometimes you can get the statement and go, oh, they withheld a, quite a chunk of that in withholding yeah. tax. That's right. Yeah. So, so in, entering that TFN is very important because, yeah, it'll then... It'll set you in the right, you know, sort of tranche of, of what you should be paying and, and what should be withheld as an investor. So that is very important. Yeah. yeah. And I guess there's a, once you're sort of a bit more advanced, there's things like voting in various uh, issues for companies um, by the share registry and share purchase plan. So it's, it's a good idea to get it set up so you can go in and access those things. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if we've got the, we've set up our broker, we've set up our share registry, and maybe we want to, think about how we manage our portfolio overall. What are some ways that we can keep track of our portfolio's performance? Sure. So the, the, kind of the first step is, is within the broker itself. Some are better than others, but the broker is operating with limited information. So the broker knows what you paid for the share and when you bought it, but they're not too keen on providing much in the way of analytics uh, beyond that. I mean, the broker's focus is to get you to trade more. I mean, that's, that's the business model. It's like, here's ideas, here's tips, here's news, you know, trade. And so, I mean, you know, obviously the, the service that we provide at ShareSite is it's easy to kind of connect your ShareSite account to your broker. So when you log into ShareSite, 
you'll be prompted to, um, to connect it to the broker and we can bring in your trading history. Or if you're a brand new investor and you've just made it one or two buy trades, um, you can just whack those in manually to share site as well. We also have a service where every time you trade, you basically get what amounts to a tax invoice. It's called a contract note. It's a PDF. You, we have a service where those can be automatically sent into ShareSite as well, and then we'll update your portfolio. That's great from a record-keeping standpoint because your accountant may ask you for those contract notes, um, and we store them automatically for you. And you can actually send uh, an access uh, access to your ShareSite account to your accountant as well. So that's kind of the way to kind of get started. And it's it's one of those things where it's easier to do it right the first time as opposed to kind of building up a trading history and then and then re filling that portfolio in ShareSite. And then, but, but the nice thing from, from there is that once you get the, the, your first buy and sell trades in, we'll then track the performance on a real-time basis. And then we'll also uh, populate all the dividend information for you as well. So it's kind of one, one little step uh, of, of kind of homework to do. And then going forward, we'll, we'll kind of do the rest for you. Yeah, I know my, my dad still does the old school method of having the, the Excel spreadsheet, which yep. has been yep. tracking for maybe four decades now and to to move that anywhere else would be a nightmare but i i can imagine getting started right the first time is a good that idea. was actually i so whenever i give like a a demonstration of, of our software at a conference or like on that i always ask for a show of hands like all right show me in the audience who tracks their spreadsheet in excel and it's like you know 60 percent of people raise their hands and i i still have a spreadsheet too it's useful in fact, that was the way we got started. Oh, the father and son team that started ShareSite, the father had a spreadsheet with all kinds of filters and macros, and there's a way to kind of feed in share prices into Excel if you know what you're doing. And if you also know Excel, uh, if, you, if you work in sort of an analytical field, you'll know that it kind of breaks down over time. And there's there's weird little things with Excel that just kind of make you scratch your head or the file will get corrupted or things like that. So anyway, it, that was kind of the basis for 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 where ShareSite was started. But um, but yeah, it gets very confusing in a spreadsheet. It's it's there's a lot to tracking a portfolio. There's there's you know all the different sources of, of of buying and selling those multiple brokers. There's also things like how do you actually look at a rate of return that's useful for an investor? Um, so w- what we do is we we use annualized returns and they're money weighted, which means that. We sort of look at your return on a year by year basis, which we think makes sense because that's kind of how we operate as financial human beings, right? You draw an annual salary, maybe you pay annual school fees, you kind of think of your household budget in, in sort of yearly chunks. And then the money weighted aspect accounts for kind of cash in and cash out of the portfolio. And so the inverse of that is like if you start a if you start a new brokerage account and you say put ten thousand dollars in there, the bro and then you buy, say, ten thousand dollars worth of, you know, uh, afterpay shares or whatever. The broker will show you as having a gain from zero dollars to ten thousand dollars, and the percentage gain is like infinity percent or whatever. So that's kind of how they show performance, whereas we actually put that into sort of human being terms in ShareSite. Yeah, and I guess the the reason why we want to track all these things we're talking about, the why people have had these spreadsheets historically or are using ShareSite is for tax, because you actually need to know when you purchased it and what purchase price. And especially if we're long-term investors and we're buying units of A200 or the VAS ETF every month or every two months, like that's a lot of purchases and it could go on for a 10 or 20 year period. And and then once you sell, you actually need to factor this into accounts. And I guess what I want to ask is how can we make our lives as easy as possible for tax time with all this record keeping? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, it's a really good point because I, I was actually helping um, a friend's mom who had some money to invest, and she's a she's a first time investor. 
And I was kind of writing an email to her and I was talking about the exciting bits like, okay, here's a broker I'd recommend. And here's a, some investment ideas I'd recommend. And this is just personal. I'm not licensed to give any advice. Yeah. So that's, a, that's a quick disclaimer. <laughs> but, you know, I said, and here's kind of the cold hard reality is that you're kind of activating yourself for tax purposes with the mm. ETF. Because once you buy shares, you are going to receive a distribution, chances are, unless it's a, a tech company that doesn't pay any. But if you're going to buy an ETF, as most new investors do, and as she's going to do, you're going to get distributions and you're going to get dividends. And as you say, the more units you buy, the larger those dividends become. If you sell down those units, you may have a cap, you, you will have a capital gain or loss tax event. And that could be a long-term gain or a short-term gain or loss. And so you do open yourself up and you need to uh, sort of, I guess, behave like an adult when it comes to, to, to taxes because you, you got to pay them. And so our, our software helps you, you do all that um, pretty automatically. And so we'll show you all the dividends um, that you've received, be they just ordinary share dividends or the more complicated ETF dividends. And I may circle back to those in just a second because they're very gnarly. And then we also show you capital gains, losses on a short and a long-term basis. And so it's all on a real-time, real-time kind of web interface. And it's all kind of organized for you in, in pretty simple terms. But uh, you will need to file this stuff with the ATO when it comes to tax time. And I would encourage uh, your listeners to just do what I do, which is make sure all your trades are in ShareSite. And then from there, everything's taken care of for you. And then I just share access with my accountant, who then plugs zero into, into ShareSite. And they just kind of do it for me. So uh, it does get pretty complex. And it's, it, it is a reality of, of being an investor, uh, unfortunately. And kind of back to those ETF distributions, if I could. This is a very, <laughs> very a challenging hobby horse card. <laughs> Well, so like, so ETFs are, just to kind of take it really high level, exchange traded funds, it's basically a listed trust that then invests in well, what they say they invest in. Either it's the ASX 200, either it's uh, the biggest companies on the NASDAQ, either it's green energy companies, whatever it may be. There's kind of an ETF for everything. So ETFs are really popular entry points for new investors. And I, I, I use them as well. They're great. Um, and they also comprise most of the options in some of the new robo-advice companies that are out there as well. So if you're going to be investing in a robo-advisor, you will then be put into a, a selection of, say, six, eight, or 10 ETFs. Now, what that means is that you're going to be getting ETF distributions, and they all pay distributions, and it's like a dividend, basically. But because an ETF can own 50, 100, 10,000 companies... You then, uh, because it's a trust and because of the, AT, the way ATO treats trusts, you then get these statements from the registry showing you all of these little granular components that make up an ETF. So like you may be getting, you know, government fixed in interest payments from Portugal and that may be going into your ETF, right? And it's all tracked and classified, but technically speaking, you need to then file all this stuff. Uh, when you file your tax with the ATO. And I don't want to scare anyone off. It's, it, we make it very easy. We've automated a lot of this because we actually work directly with the ETF companies. And the ATO, uh, for their part, has gotten a lot better at the pre-fill on this as well. So, so they definitely remain a great entry point for, for investors and, and really useful for experienced investors as well. But um, just the way the Aussie tax system works and the way these things are classified as trusts it can get really complex, and it, I don't want people to be overwhelmed when they receive those those distribution statements from, say, ComputerShare, and they've got these long alphanumeric lists of you know foreign source income, this blah 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 blah. You know, so it's uh, it's it's a, a rather unpleasant reality of, of being a, a an ETF investor, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, those statements definitely. 
I try not to open them too often. <laughs> they are overwhelming. And I guess that's a tool like ShareSite is very helpful with that and just sharing access with your accounts. And I think the great thing is it's up to 10 free holdings. for So most new investors can use it without paying a cent forever, really. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So our, our, our that's right. Our <laughs> aim there was to like let people get a get a good generous kind of usage and run out of the software. If you've got yeah five, ten, eight holdings, whatever it is, it's it'll be perfect for you, and and you can kind of get what you need out of there. And you know, as your sort of investment affairs become more complex, then you may want to look at some of the paid options. But um, but yeah, that's kind of how the business operates. And you know, we we want to be generous and we want to help investors and we want them to then hopefully you know tell their mates about us as well. So. <laughs> Are there any other things about portfolio management while we're on the topic that you think investors really need to know about, especially at the beginning? Yeah, I think two things um, that I would call out are kind of building blocks of being a good investor is, I mean, understand benchmarking. And I think benchmarking is often one of those things that people kind of, they, they think they know about, or they see it like if they've got, you know, that sort of morning show on and they, they show you what the what the S&P 500 did overnight, or they, they show you what the ASX 200 did yesterday. Often those are called benchmarks. They're not. It's, it, all that is is just what the market as a whole did, and it's an index that tracks the market. That's interesting. I mean, I look at it in the morning, you know, especially sort of in the times we're in now, where it's a lot of volatility and a lot of uh, uncertainty out there. But the thing is, is like a, a true benchmark for an investor, whether you're just starting out or, or your experience is, well, what what is my goal as an investor? And, and what else could I be doing with my funds? What's my kind of plan B as an investor? And so in my case, I track my portfolios against kind of, I guess, relative benchmarks to kind of my strategy as an investor, right? So I like to invest in, in technology companies, especially software as a service companies, SaaS model, which is what ShareSite is. It's online software. And I like to think that, you know, I know a thing or two about those companies and I like to, to buy their, their shares. But in that case, I'm going to track myself against a maybe a NASDAQ ETF, right? And I use an ETF because if I, let's say I'm not doing a very good job as my own sort of household portfolio manager, or let's say I'm really busy or whatever, my realistic investment alternative is to actually just put my money in that NASDAQ ETF, right? So it's a, it's a true alternative investment, not just the NASDAQ price index, but the actual ETF. And so I always encourage people to think, okay, if I wasn't running this money myself, who, who would I give it to and how are they going? And, and that's kind of what I think about as, as, as benchmarking. Another example of that for me is there's a Vanguard sort of balanced ETF that you can buy. Um, it's called VDBO, which is, a, which is a great ETF, which is kind of a balanced option that would look a lot like a corporate super kind of fund. And again, there it's like, okay, if I'm really busy, maybe I should just consider turning a portion of my portfolio over to, to VDBO and let them do their thing, right? So can I realistically beat what those guys are doing? You know, I don't know. So that's what I like to, to, to encourage people to think about when it comes to benchmarking. Don't just look at the market index. Think about sort of what your plan B is as an investor. And the other one that I, I tend to, to kind of at least begin to, to encourage people to think about is, is asset, asset allocation. And before your eyes glaze over, it's, 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 I'll try to make it as, as not, uh, non-academic as possible. But, but asset allocation basically means like, okay, how, what assets are you exposed to as an investor? Are you going to be buying shares? Okay, are those shares Aussie shares? Are they US shares? Are they tech shares? Are they resource shares? What sort of type of assets are they? Are you going to be investing in cash? Are you going to be investing in fixed interest or bonds or property or things like that? And just understanding that those asset classes perform very differently over time. 
And so kind of the rule of thumb is that if you're going to be a long-term investor and you're willing to kind of ride the waves and some of the ups and downs, equities, stocks, shares are, are the way to go for that. If you are somebody who is looking to kind of preserve your capital, maybe you're getting ready to buy a home or you're, you're getting ready to retire, then you're going to want to look at safer, less volatile investments that, that don't perform as well, but, but aren't as, as subject, suspect, subject to, to kind of world events like bonds, fixed interest, cash, things like that. So that's kind of a core building block of, of how we want to think as investors. I think oftentimes we think of like, okay, I'm going to become an investor. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy stocks. I'm going to buy shares. And that's fine. That's good, especially if you're younger. But you want to think about that sort of over time in terms of what you're exposed to um, as well. Like if you think about my personal situation, like you own a home. I work for a tech company. I've got shares in that company. I also invest in tech companies. So, so I'm sort of hopelessly over-indexed towards tech shares and property, right? <laughs> so at least I know that. I mean, it might not be the best <laughs> thing in the world, but at least I know where I stand. It's sort of like, you know, a more balanced asset breakdown may, may be more appropriate for other people. So that's kind mm-hmm. of what asset allocation is. It's just, it's just if you're going to put your money somewhere, it's going to behave in a certain way. And it's linked to the other asset types that are out there in the world. Well, right now, we're sort of going through a period where there's a lot of uncertainty around, you know, obviously war, but but inflation and, and interest rate rises. And so those asset classes are all kind of behaving in a, in a negative way, unfortunately, in terms of returns. Yeah, wonderful. I think asset allocation is a great topic for a whole different episode, too. Totally. There's yeah, a lot yeah, to talk is. about. <laughs> And before we wrap up today's episode, Doug, I was wondering if you can leave my listeners with your number one tip for them. Number one tip. I would say invest in a company that you understand, know, and, and use, right? So, so I would say, so my, my first investment was in Disney. And this was in a, a stock picking competition that my econ teacher ran in, in, in high school. Econ, it's such an American way of saying yeah. economics. It was a macroeconomics course yeah. in year 12. And I would say senior year of high school. And we picked Disney because like, you know, we understood the company. And I, I, what I like to do is download the annual report because the, the best companies in the world provide really high quality annual reports. And it's a chance for the company to kind of show themselves off, talk about what they do, talk about their values. And there's a lot of information in there. And if you're talking about a market like Australia, the ASX or the US, they're highly regulated markets. And so what goes in there is all fact checked. It's all legit. And so I, I would say download the report, you know, it, it could be anything, whether it's, um, you know, it's a green energy company, it's an entertainment company, it's Netflix, it's a tech company, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new IPO, download the literature and read about it and familiarize yourself with the company. And it makes it a lot easier if it's something that you use in, in your daily life. So, so maybe that's a good way for people to start investing. That would be my, my number one tip. Yeah, absolutely. It can be very overwhelming out there. And starting with something you know and understand like Disney or Netflix is a great way to go. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I, I recently gave some advice to a friend of mine and we landed on Microsoft, you know, because they understand Microsoft and they've been using Microsoft their entire lives, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. And Doug, if people want to learn more about you and maybe check out ShareSite, use the free version, where should they go? Yeah. So just go to ShareSite.com. You can sign up. It takes two seconds. Uh, we're just a, it's just a tech platform. So you don't need to worry about any of the banking or any of the scary hints or any of that kind of stuff we talked about. Just ShareSite.com, sign up. You can add a few trades just on a, on a trial basis, or you can connect into your broker and you can get started with a free plan. Absolutely. Well, Doug, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your knowledge. I think there's a lot for people to take away about managing their portfolio and just getting some of the basics right at the beginning and just making their life a lot easier over the long term. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me on, Kate. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money Podcast.